Welcome to another episode of The Rabbi and the Shrink. This is Dr. Margarita Guri, The Shrink, and here's my favorite rabbi, Jonathan Goldson. And today's topic is joy. Oh, to joy. I can just hear it in the background. The rabbi and I are talking about a variety of different feeling states and blessings that can help us on our path to leading amazing lives of excellence and ethical um, richness. Rabbi, talk to us about joy, sir. I would love to. And uh, this is also on my mind. We, we recently recorded a, a conversation about fear and love because we're approaching uh, the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then those days are immediately followed by the, the festival of, of Sukkot, or Sukkot, what's called the Festival of Tabernacles. And that is described by the sages as a season of joy. And so it's very much on my mind right now. It's on minds of the Jewish people right now. Now, in, in, in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, there are eight words that all translate as some form of joy or happiness. And they all relate to some form of growth or progress. And I'll start off by, by sharing two of them. Uh, one is the word simcha, which is phonetically related to a root meaning to bud. And another is the word sasun, which, which has the meaning of blossom. So if you think about going out to your garden in the springtime, and you look at your rose bush, and it's been dormant through the winter, and, and, and the leaves are starting to come back, and then you see the first bud, and you feel this surge of emotion. This is why you have the rose bush, to produce the flower. Well, the flower is not out yet. But the bud is potential. Joy is the sense of potential that is about to be implemented. So it's about, you're about to embark on a journey, on a mission with a purpose. And then as you work your way through that, it blossoms. It comes into being. And as the flower blossoms, that's a different manifestation of joy. You're approaching the fulfillment of, of your desire, of your purpose, of your mission. Now, what's interesting is that when that mission or purpose is fulfilled, there's this momentary elation of satisfaction, but then it's often followed by a kind of a depression, a letdown. You're reading a really good book. You're watching a really good movie. You're listening to a wonderful song. You get to the end and it's over. Now what? Where do we go from here? So that's not joy. You know, we seek satisfaction, but satisfaction is a, it's a double-edged sword. Joy is, the, is being involved in reaching and attaining a meaningful purpose that is going to give us satisfaction. And being involved in that process is what is ultimately the source of genuine happiness and joy. So that goes to the heart of a lot of conflict in various researchers and philosophers. And, and I'll just put out the questions and then we can discuss them. Is happiness a choice? Is joy a choice? Is joy available to everyone or is it predicated on good deeds or good thoughts? The whole idea of deserving joy 
and happiness is an issue that has been very controversial. So let's go back to that bud, that potential. Is that bud available to everyone? It is, but not always in the way that we have come to expect it in, in, in modern society and Western society. I think our biggest problem is that we conflate happiness and pleasure. Yes, we do. And pleasure is great. You know, ice cream's wonderful. Um, <laughs> sensual pleasures are part of life and should be enjoyed. Well, I'm getting dog kisses on my foot right now. So, yes. <laughs> I can't help with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, there's nothing joyful because what's the evidence? The same thing we just talked about. You finish the bowl of ice cream. You finish the the, the chocolate bar. You you finish the, the sensual pleasure that you're you're reveling in. And what do you have? What's left? A great memory and sensation. Yeah, except except the sensation doesn't last very long. Oh, but you and, can recall it. Well, you can, but what all that does is it makes you want more. Yes, it does. Right? And when a person is in a state of joy. They're going to be ups, they're going to be downs. You know, there, there's really, there doesn't have to be a contradiction between joy and pain. Some pains are good, right? The, I, I have not personally been through childbirth. Um, I, I, have, I, have, I have it on good authority. It's not the most pleasant experience. Oh, it wasn't bad and it was so exciting. <laughs> Why do women put themselves in a position, especially when they've been through it once? Um, why do they put themselves in that position? Because they know that that pain is necessary to bring about something that is supremely valuable. It is so worth it. And and you know one of one of uh, recent rabbis, Rabbi Noah Weinberg, he said, um, "You ask people what's the opposite of pleasure, they say pain. But then you ask them what's your greatest pleasure, and they say your children." What's your greatest pain? Your children. <laughs> That's it's <funny>. universal. <laughs> they go hand in hand. It's the it's the struggle, and I and I think even there, again, it's a misunderstanding of the word pleasure, because children are not necessarily pleasurable, but they certainly can bring us joy. Well, and they can be very pleasurable, but nothing's with kids because they're growing up. Of course, it's not a pleasure palace, you know, and a you know, 100%, you know. Um, so let's go, go back to the issue of happiness then. In looking at some of the research and some of the philosophers, no one seems to agree on what joy and happiness is. And one of the things that you and I were talking about is that maybe we don't agree on much, but that joy does seem to be blessed with a bit of grace that there's some sort of spiritual component to much of joy and not necessarily to happiness. Is that, are we in agreement on that as a, as a starting point for this discussion or no? Um, can you develop that idea a little bit more for me? Well, sure. So some of the more controversial readings that I've, that I've come across and people with whom I've spoken, take it to a different level that I don't agree with that, that joy is comes from God in heaven only, and happiness is secular. It's uh, day to day, and one's internal, one's external. Da, da, da. 
I don't agree with that. My point of view is that I believe for me, joy could be a happiness that's imbued with grace, some spiritual uh, extras, um, supersized uh, element of connection, of pleasure, of ecstasy, of whatever. Um, and that's how I see it. Now, I don't know if you agree with that. What do you think, Rabbi? I think there's definitely something to that. Um, you know, I, I had a guest on my on my ethics panel, uh, J.C. Glick. He's a former uh, um, Army Ranger, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, we should have him on the podcast. Uh, oh yeah, let's at do. At some point, a really, really uh, remarkable fellow. And and I we got onto this topic, and I I explained my formulation of uh, uh, joy and happiness as a function of purpose, and he pushed back. And he said he thinks that's wrong because uh, he, he said he thinks that people can have misguided purpose. And he felt that joy was really a function of connection. Yes, and that's I, the grace. I agree. Right, exactly. And, and I said that I, I didn't disagree with him, that when I say that joy is a function of purpose, one has to have a worthy purpose. And then one is connected to the goal, the ideal, which could be God. And at the same time, one is connected to all those who are engaged in the same purpose, right? which is what we talked about in the previous segment about love, that sense of connection through common purpose. Yeah. So I don't see that there, there's an either or there. Certainly, people can make themselves very unhappy by pursuing the wrong goals and the wrong ideals. And engaging in 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 uh, purposes that are not beneficial to them or to mankind, and yet that is part of happiness. Realizing that you're going down the wrong path, and getting excited about the failure or the frustration, and then switching gears. So, even in that misguided effort, I think there's a lot of happiness and joy um, to find your your main purpose or where you need to be. Uh, to achieve the goals that you thought were good, maybe rewrite the goals or rewrite the path to those stated goals. Now that requires tremendous emotional maturity. You know, we don't like being wrong. You know, nope. I have to quote my my college professor Max Bird. He said, "I don't understand why people complain about being disillusioned. I would like to be relieved of my illusions." <laughs> and, and and even as a college student, I I, I pushed back and I said, "Well, yeah, but." <laughs> That's funny. Who, who wants that? <laughs> we, Although, we like our illusions. We like. Yeah, I know. I think I think many of us die die on that hill defending an illusion that can no longer be defended. I mean, you know, yeah. And if you've ever uh, had the unpleasant experience of being in an argument and suddenly realizing in the midst of the heated debate, you realize you're wrong. Oh, anyone and then with you double children, down and start arguing harder. Anyone with children knows the experience of discovering that they're wrong, as they tell us all the time. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. So let's talk about happiness for a second. You know, I came to this country as a refugee and I learned something very early on when we were in Flagler Street um, in Miami, um, not the best neighborhood in the world. We were in a little house with an orange sectional couch. I mean, just when we first arrived next to the cemetery and behind the firehouse, if that tells you anything. And what I learned is that we choose happiness because many other refugees came and many of them brought their, their surus. Is that the right way of saying? 
uh, with them. And um, they brought their pain, their, their grief with them. And instead of embracing the freedom of the United States, my parents taught me happiness because they would say, I, we're in, my mother would say, I, we're in America now. We are free. Of course, we're happy. We are free. We don't have to talk about that, that man. She would never say Castro, that man. We don't have to talk about him. We are Americans now. And we are grateful. So they chose to not talk. I mean, they were wealthy in Cuba. They didn't ever talk about what they lost, ever. I never heard them once complaining. Now, maybe they did to my older siblings, because my twin sister and I were the two youngest by quite a few years. But I never heard it. In all the years I knew them, I never heard them complain not once. Now, she would complain about our manners. I, Pepin, we've been in America too long. These children have bad manners. You know, that, that kind of thing. But I learned that happiness was a choice. It's not only a state of mind. But it's, in that sense, a state of grace. You choose your gratitude. You choose people that you hang with. You choose the news you watch. If it's too negative, it's not going to make you happy. It, happiness, I believe, is a choice. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Well, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think that, that that really sums up so much of the, the popular discontent of yes. our age, that sense of entitlement. If I'm entitled then I really have nothing to work for. And so I have no purpose. I mean, why are so many rich people unhappy? Why are why do, why do successful people? I mean, I heard this story a while back and I wish I could remember the name of the artist um, because I, I heard her tell it on in an interview and it was just so compelling to when she was a little girl um, and she, she was in her first school play. She wanted to be in the play. And so the next year she tried out, she got in the play. And then when she got in the play, well, now she wanted to have a starring role. And she got the, the next time she got the starring role. And then she wanted to sing a solo. She got to sing a solo. And then she wanted to be a, a performance artist. And she became, she wanted to, to record a song. And she did. And she wanted to record an album. And she did. And she wanted it to be successful. And it was. And she wanted to go gold. And it did. And then the next one went platinum. And the next one went double platinum. And then she attempted suicide. Because she was in her early 20s. And what else is there? There was nothing else to, to strive for. And here is someone who got everything she wanted, perhaps too easy, perhaps too soon, and was left with, now what's the rest of my life going to be about? And it was such a sad story. When see, I see as a psychologist, I've seen that so many times. And I think we forget that achievement, um, whatever the metric is, whether it's money or certain levels of success, in our striving for that, we can neglect our self-love, but we can also neglect our relationships. Because that without someone to share it with, without cultivating the love of good people all around us, life is indeed empty. And to go back to your point about grace, I mean, King David says in the Psalms, serve God with joy, which suggests that if you're not joyful, you're not serving God. And if you are serving God, then joy should be the natural outcome of that, that connection, that purpose, exactly what we've been talking about. And it, it's not just God, it's, it's the the divinity of every human being. Yes. To find relationships 
including we ourselves. We have yeah. to treat each other as if we are dear. You know, it's interesting. And so many religions, cultures, and superstitions dictate that that happiness um, comes from suffering, that we must suffer. And I certainly don't agree with that. If we suffer, we can use that and as as um, a calling card to to dive into more joy and love and whatever. But I do not believe that suffering is a necessary element to happiness and joy. Sacrifice is though. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't. This is my this is my take on it. I don't believe that we can have joy and happiness without sacrifice. And let me explain. If I want to have a great relationship with someone, I have to sacrifice pettiness, grudges. I have to sacrifice, let's say someone's married and they see someone that might be cuter or sexier. Well, you sacrifice because you say no, because you work on the relationship that you hold dear. So I do not believe that we can have everything. I think we get happiness by choosing the things that matter and by being grateful for those things we have. And back to the Stoics, amor fati. If we have a bad thing happen, find a way to love it and look for the grace there. And there is happiness and joy within all events that feel good or feel bad. Without, I think, some sacrifice, not pain and suffering. I believe you cannot have joy or happiness. Well, I think that's a good dry, mic, mic drop moment, uh, Doctor, and, and I, I may bestow on you rabbinic ordination. Um, oh well, thank you. I was um, I was at a, a, a virtual lecture um, yesterday, last night, and um, this was exactly the rabbi's point that we have to let go of pettiness if we want to attach ourselves to more noble ideals. I, I would I would tweak it a little bit. And say, so, you know, in the in the temple in Jerusalem, they would bring um, offerings of animals on the altar, and it's often translated into English as sacrifices, but that's not really the word that's used. The word for offering shares a root with a word for for intimacy, and what we talked about before of giving, and we talked about love investment. You know, is investing is investing really a sacrifice? It you know, I'm giving be. up something now, but I'm not really giving it up. I'm simply channeling it in a direction. I, I used to tell my students that when I was young, I had two goals in life. I wanted to be a trapeze artist in the circus, and I wanted <laughs> to be and I wanted to be a sumo wrestler. <laughs> now, of course, I never really wanted either of things. Things, but I, but I'm making the point. You know. I could choose one or the other if I really wanted it, but I couldn't do both. Nope. Different body types. And maturity is, is recognizing you can't have everything. And if you try to have everything, I mean, you know, we know, we know dilettantes who've got 27 different degrees and, and never worked uh, because they just can't narrow down. You have people who can't form intimate relationships because, well, if I commit to this person, that means... I can't play the field anymore. I can't, all those other people out there. Right? Well, but that's when they're thinking of love as external um, to mm -hmm. them. You have to have self-love first. Right. Love yourself, then it's easier to make those choices. Right, but it's also that, that, that focus, that investment. Yes. And yes, inevitably, 
I'm going to cut out other options when I make one choice. But to think of it as a sacrifice is perhaps not so helpful because then I've got the sense of I'm look at what I'm giving up. Well, I have to give up something to get anything. But it is a sacrifice, but for the for the greater good, it is a sacrifice. Well, it's a great, but it's also for my good. Yes, it's also yes, yeah, also for your good. I I agree. And since we it's for my good, everything. I don't have to think of it as a sacrifice. Well, that's because you're you're mature. But for people who are greedy or scared, they have to accept um, any sacrifice. If you've chosen well, begins to be a blessing. It feels like a blessing, but you have to work and, through and it. And that's why I prefer to call it investments. But uh... well, I, I agree, it's an investment because but because I deal with so many people who are. Holding on. One of my favorite images in like um, uh, Homer Simpson is when he was trying to get the Coke from the machine, the, the, the soda machine, and he had his hand in there, but he, he couldn't get his hand out, but he had to let go of the Coke. So he couldn't make a choice. He, he, he could not invest in his freedom. So he was stuck in the machine. I just, well, I'll, you, I just I'll take your work on that one. But uh, there, there is the famous monkey trap. Yes, yes. Where they, where they put the, wherever it's the, the marbles or the, whatever the monkeys want, they put it in a, in a, in a big earthenware uh, vase or urn with a narrow opening and the monkey reaches in, grabs a handful and then can't pull its hand out. Right. And the hunter just walks up with a club and hits it over the head and it doesn't <laughs> run away because it can't let go. Well, and life is a monkey trap. I mean, exactly. really. Um, exactly. In many, in many ways. Um, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? I love yeah, that idea. The sages say, grab too much, you grab nothing. Grab my little, mother used to say, you, you, can't ride, you can't ride two horses with one seat. <laughs> and um, she would often say, um, how many horses you're working on right now? You know, just like multitasking. So let's talk about multitasking too. People get joy by looking at their texts and whatever, but they also have a tremendous sense of dread. And they're losing the opportunity to to join other people to create yeah. true influence. And I don't think they're getting any joy from that. I think they're just getting a dopamine buzz. Well, I think there can be a joy if there's a habit, but some of it is artificial joy. It's the brain chemistry. That well, yeah, and, that's, and, I, and I think it's we important it to a, make that, that distinction. It, that, that yes, you're think, right. I don't think that's what not, joy is. It is not true joy, but for some people, if they have a joy in a topic or a community, that's a little different, but that's more complicated. Yeah, I mean, we I think that pleasure one of the distracts us. Pleasure distracts us from the lack can. of joy in our lives. It absolutely can. And one of the antidotes to friendship, let's go back to, to picking people and, and deciding, is not letting go of things like resentment and dread. That is one of the monkey traps or the idea of being right all the time or being loved by everyone or having everyone agree with us. So, so I'm going to ask everyone out there, what is, what's in your monkey trap? What's keeping you uh, in that, in that uh, container uh, trap so anyone can bop you on the head? And uh, take a look at it, and what are you going to do about it? That's, that's my thought about uh, joy and happiness. And I think that's a great place to leave off, and, and I'd like that we can, we can use that as a meme or, uh, or a future article. What's in your monkey trap? What's in your monkey trap? Let's do that. Like Let, actually, you and I should create a, a TED talk about that and a keynote. I like it. I think it's a good too. Well, as always, Rabbi, it's been fun. This has been an episode of the Rabbi and the Shrink. Check us out on the rabbi and the shrink.com. 
and join us for another episode. Thank you, and may you find yourself allowing joy into your life. Thank you for listening to The Rabbi and the Shrink, Everyday Ethics Unscripted. To book Dr. Redshoe, Dr. Margarita Guri, or Rabbi Jonasson Goldson as speakers or advisors for your organization, contact them at therabbiandtheshrink.com. This has been a Dr. Redshoe production.